The last thing I want to do in to deal with alkenes is to look very briefly at their spectroscopy, the infrared, proton NMR, and carbon-13 NMR. And here we see on this chart infrared spectra of three alkenes, a terminal alkene and two internal cis and trans examples. And if you look at the top one, you see there are certain features which appear in the infrared spectrum which classify this molecule as an alkene. The first is that we see that the CH bonds, which are directly attached to the double bond, these actually have a frequency of stretching which is slightly higher than those attached to the saturated chain. And that's because we have an sp2 hybridized CH bond there. We have an increased degree of S character in that bond, which makes it a slightly stronger bond. Electrons are held closer to the nucleus, stronger bond, slightly more difficult to stretch it. And so we see a higher frequency of infrared radiation needed to stretch that bond. So that's quite characteristic. And that's about 3,010 per centimeter, just above the alcohol ones. We also see the CC stretching frequency, which is usually a weak band here, about 1,600 per centimeter. That is, again, very characteristic, although sometimes in molecules that have lots of bands around it, it gets swamped and you don't see it very well. But if it's on its own and stuck out, then you're usually pretty sure that you've got an alkene there. And finally, we have the bending modes, these in-plane bending modes. That's taking the CH, and essentially, if we imagine it like that, uh, that's the double bond, there's the CH, and bending it in the plane like that. And they occur around about 900 or whatever uh, per centimeter. And those are quite useful, those, to distinguish in simple alkenes, at least, between cis and trans alkenes. And you can see that on the bottom two spectra. Because you find that the bending mode in the cis alkene is actually round about uh, 600 per centimeter, six or 700 per centimeter whereas the trans is much higher in energy. It requires more energy to do that movement, like that, in the trans, than it does in the cis. And the reason for that is that in the cis, when the hydrogen moves like that, it's moving against another hydrogen, the other side of the double bond, which is quite a small group. Whereas in the trans, for it to do that, it then starts to impinge upon an alcohol group, the other side of the double bond. And that is a much more stately, larger group, and much more difficult to push against. So that requires more energy. So the trans has a higher energy CH bending mode than does the cis. And that's quite, for simple alkenes, that's quite a useful technique for distinguishing between cis and trans or E and Z, uh, Z and E uh, alkenes. Now if we look at the NMR spectra, the proton NMRs spectra are fairly simple. We see the hydrogens of the alcohol chains, the saturated hydrogens, where they usually are, the methyls and the CH2s, up about 1 to 1.5 parts per million away from tetramethylsilane. The two extra features we see in alkenes, the first, as you see in this terminal alkene, is that the alkenic hydrogens, the ones directly attached to the double bond, are way down, a long way away from tetramethylsilane, down about 5 to 6 parts per million. And with a terminal alkene, it turns out the ones on the end are always slightly closer to TMS, tetramethylsilane, than the internal one. And so that 
that little set of peaks there is due to the two on the end, and that one, that wide peak there is due to the hydrogen in inside. Now, the an, an extra feature on alkenes is that one of the CH2s, the CH2 of the alcohol chain, which is right next to the double one, usually comes out from under the CH2 envelope, and that is that set of peaks there at about two parts per million. That's called the allylic CH2. We'll see more about that later on. We've already seen it that N-bromosuccinamide, for example, attacks allylic positions. That's the allylic position. We see in the carbon-13 a very similar situation to what we see in the proton. That is, we get um, enormous shift of the carbon-13, which are, are the double bond, the double bond carbon carbons, away from tetramethylcyanine and away from the alcohol carbons. They're around about 120, 140 parts per million. And again, we find in a terminal alkene, the one, the, the, the terminus, the end part, is nearer to TMS than is the internal carbon. So a very similar situation to the, uh, to the proton anemone. And that's enough on the spectroscopy. You'll see lots of spectra, I'm sure, of alkenes in your career here and elsewhere. Uh, and they're very easy. It's very easy to, to, to distinguish between them and alkanes. And I want to move on now to the third and, uh, or the third, rather, uh, of the types, the class of compounds that I'm going to deal with, and that is the alkynes, otherwise known as acetylenes. The old name for alkynes is acetylenes. These compounds don't have double bonds in them, they have triple bonds. Let's first look at the structure and bonding of these species. And we want to first look at the sigma framework before we think of the pi bonds involved in the triple bonds. With alkanes to build up a sigma framework, we started off with one s orbital and three p orbitals, and we hybridized them to produce four sp3 hybrids. With alkenes, we had one p orbital which we wanted to use to make the pi bond. And so we took one s orbital and two p orbitals to make the sigma bonds. We hybridized them and ended up with three sp2 hybrids. Now with alkynes, we want to make two double, two pi bonds, or two pi bonds in a triple bond. And so we're left for the sigma framework with one s orbital and one p orbital. And these are going to hybridize to form sp hybrids. Now sp hybrids, there are only two of them, two sp hybrids, and the way we arrange those in space is to have 180 degrees between them. In other words, the sigma framework is linear. We take a carbon one side of the triple bond, the carbon the other side of the triple bond, and the two substituents, they are all in the same line. Alkynes are not bent, they are straight chain molecules, straight molecules, well, not straight chain, straight molecules. We're now left with the two uh, p orbitals to overlap, just as we did with alkenes. We have one in the plane of the paper to overlap to form one pi bond, and one pair which are at right angles to that, out of the plane of the paper, which form the second pi bond, thus combined to form a triple bond. These two pi bonds do not conjugate, not like um, benzene or conjugated polyenes. Those are right angles around, they don't in overlap. They are separate pi systems. And now we can look 
at, first of all, the spectroscopy. Before we go on to the reactions, I'm going to look at the spectroscopy of alkynes um, very briefly. We're just going to look at an infrared spectrum, a, uh, a proton-MR spectrum, and a, and a carbon-13. And we see here that the sp hybridized CH stretch, now we have a great deal more S character in our CH bond than in our uh, sp2, for example, or sp3. That is, again, going to be a stronger bond than the sp2CH or the sp3CH. And this occurs very characteristic as a sharp band about 3,300 per centimeter. If you see a single sharp band around about there, you're almost certain that that is a terminal acetylene. The other thing which is a terminal acetylene. The other thing which is exceedingly characteristic of alkynes, at least unsymmetrical ones, is if you see this little blip here at about 2,200, 2,300. That area of the infrared spectra is not commonly um, used by other groups, except for triply bonded groups. And uh, a peak there is quite characteristic of a triple bond, in this case, an, an alkyne of settling. So those are two main features in the infrared spectrum of, um, of alkynes. In the proton NMR, we see something slightly different from the alkenes. We might ex anticipate it that if the alkenes moved away from tetramethylsalane down to 5 to 6 parts per million, that the alkynes would go even further still. But it's not as simple as that. It relates to the magnetic field created by these pi electrons. And in fact, what happens, and, 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 the, and the, sh the shape of this magnetic field and where the protons are in that magnetic field, and it just so happens that the proton on a terminal, terminal alkyne, the CH there, actually doesn't go further away from tetramethylsalane. It goes the other way. It goes back up to about 2, 2.5 parts per million and lies now underneath uh, or very close to the CH2s and the CH3s of the alcohol chain. Again, like we saw with the alkenes, we get one CH2, the one which is directly attached to the multiple bond, to the triple bond in this case, comes out from the other CH2s and that it's not called a lilac, it's called propargilic in this case, but it's formally similar to the lilac CH2. It just shifts out and you can see it. Similarly, in the CARM-13 NMR, we see this anomaly that we don't see with, uh, that, that we don't expect, don't see any com continuum, as it were, shifting away from tetramethylsalane. What we see is that the CARMs of alkynes go back up again towards tetramethylsalane, not quite as far as the protons did in the proton spectrum, they go back to about 80 or 90 parts per million, but they are certainly not further from tetramethylsalane uh, than the alkene-type carbons. So that's enough on the spectroscopy. It's fairly simple. Now I want to look at the reactions of alkynes. And the first of these, since alkynes are similar to alkenes, they have pi bonds, we would expect to be electrophilic addition, and that's what we're going to deal with. Now, again, alkynes have a little surprise for us. We might expect that we have a triple bond, we have two pairs of pi bonds, we have no encumbering alkyl groups, or we don't have four alkyl groups around the multiple bond, as we do in alkenes, we only have two. We might expect that these would be more reactive towards electrophiles, because the, the electrons are more readily available. But that is not true. Alkynes, in fact, are less reactive than alkenes 
towards addition by electrophiles. And this means that if you want to add an electrophile to an alkyne, you must add a catalyst. And the most common catalyst is a mercuric salt. Remember I said that mercury has a high affinity for attacking pi bonds, double bonds in alkenes. It also attacks very readily triple bonds. It has, seems to have a high affinity for pi bonds in general. And what happens now is you take, for example, ethyne, that's this parent alkyne, you treat it with HCl in the presence of mercury chloride, and you end up, initially at least, with this uh, monochloral product. Now, how does this catalysis work? Let's run through the mechanism of this. If you do this reaction in the absence of mercury salt, the reaction is very slow, which means that it must be the mercuric salt which adds on to the ethyne, first of all, and we generate this carbocation. That is then trapped by the chloride to give a chloro-mercury alkene compound. Now, it's a general phenomenon that when you have metal-carbon bonds, they are very easily cleaved by protons. You'll see that later on in your inorganic lectures and organometallic lectures. They're very easily cleaved by protons. And of course, you have protons around. We have HCl in this mixture. So what happens is the H plus comes off, on, and it substitutes for the mercury on here. And we end up with chloro and H added on to the triple bond to give the intermediate al alkene. Now, this reaction can be designated, like we've designated others, this can also be designated as a substitution. We're substituting mercury for a proton, or proton for mercury, rather. It's an electrophilic reaction because the proton is an electrophile, and it's bimolecular because we're involving the proton and the mercury compound in the actual step, and it is called an SE2 mechanism. Now, I said at the beginning of this that alkynes are less reactive than alkenes. And what we've produced in this addition of HCl is an alkene, a Cl and H on it. And so this is going to react further with HCl. And this may also be mercury catalyzed, by the way, but it doesn't matter. What happens is that a second HCl adds on, and we end up with 1,1-dichloroethane. It proceeds by a Markovnikov addition and in fact, it's very difficult to stop it at the alkene stage. The electrophilic addition tends to add doubly to give the di-reacted alkane, the di-substituted alkane. Okay, in this lecture, what we've looked at is the spectroscopy of alkenes. We've looked at um, the alkynes, started on the alkynes, looked at their bonding and compared it with alkenes and alkanes. We've looked at their spectroscopy and now we've done the first reactions of alkynes. And in the next lecture, we'll look at three other reactions of alkynes.